Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Genesis of Startups, where we interview brilliant minds in entrepreneurship to explore what it's really like to start a business. Today, it is an honor to have Dr. Haley Watson, a much sought after clinical psychologist, a TEDx speaker, and entrepreneur. Having lived in and delivered support to young people in four different parts of the world, Haley is passionate about helping people find their inner potential and inherent value by making psychology accessible to youths from all backgrounds and circumstances. She is the founder of Open Parachute, a research validated mental health school curriculum endorsed by schools across Australia, Canada, and the United States. So good to have you on, Haley. It's so good to be here. So, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you're doing with Open Parachute? Yes, absolutely. So I'm a clinical psychologist, as you mentioned, that's my training and background. Um, But I've been working with teenagers for about 15 years. I'm originally from Canada, but I'm a dual Australian and Canadian citizen. So I was living in, in Sydney for about nine years. And my passion, so what I've done with Open Parachute, because I'm so passionate about working with teenagers and trying to find ways to engage them in real mental health interventions, what I've built with Open Parachute is a mental health program that's used by schools that's based around documentary videos of teenagers sharing their experience of overcoming struggle that are then used in a classroom setting and facilitated by teachers along with psychological skills building exercises. So really taking the practices and the tools and that learning that's really necessary for mental health and mental wellness out of the therapy room and making it generalizable in a classroom setting. And as you mentioned, those programs are running in schools in Australia, the US and Canada, and we're, we're looking at expanding globally. So it's, it's sort of my, my big passion project. That's awesome. What made you choose the video format? Yeah, so I started off wanting to write a book for teenagers because, you know, I said, I want to have these things. I want to <laughs> share with them. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> All the teenagers that I worked with said, yeah, no, we don't read. <laughs> don't read <a> book. <laughs> so it was actually the teenagers that I work with that said, start a YouTube channel. So I thought, okay, sure, I'll, I'll give it a crack. I had never been in front of a camera. I had never done anything with video recording. I had never done any, you know, that world was completely foreign to me, but I thought, why not? And so I started filming teenagers and I was so impressed. And this was, these were not my clients. These were just random teenagers that I filmed around the world. Actually, I did a bit of a tour and started filming these teenagers and they were so wise and they had so much to say and they really wanted to share. And it was incredible. And so I immediately thought, well, this is exactly the message that other teenagers need to hear. And of course, teenagers don't want to hear this from an adult anyway. They want to hear from their peers. So I thought, okay, what if I could turn this into something that could be accessible for youth? And so a a school programming was sort of the place that made the most sense because that's what all kids have access to. And so I started bringing these videos into schools, into classrooms, and it was incredible, the impact, like the difference between me going in and trying to talk about mental health and engage teenagers in mental health versus going in with a video of a peer account and having that be the storytelling element and sort of creating that layer of safety in the classroom was huge. And so that's what sort of formed the basis of using these videos to create that peer leadership and peer mentoring as a vital part of the program. Yeah, that's awesome. And I can see how it could also contribute to vicarious learning as opposed to just reading, you know, when you're looking at specific actions. And as you mentioned, you got 
other kids to actually play the roles as well. So in a way that they can relate to, as opposed to, as you mentioned, just someone that they don't know, just stand in front saying, you should do this, you should do that. That's it. And the thing with mental health is that it's so intricate and intertwined. So when we try to talk to teenagers about something like bullying or depression or anxiety, often we're talking about them in isolation, but they're not in isolation. They're always embedded within these rich and deep stories of a person's individual life. And so when you use that storytelling approach, that's a really effective way of teaching because it shows them how these things are all connected and how someone who's bullying or is bullied would have mental health struggles and how that relates because it's very personal. And that's how we learn as humans, right? We don't learn about facts and figures. We retain information when it becomes personal. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you go about choosing the scenarios? So for example, you mentioned bullying, but I can imagine that all circumstances are inherently unique and they all, all you know, have their own contexts. How do you overcome that? Yeah. So basically that's completely led by the stories themselves. So we find teenagers that have been through something hard and then, so I'm always there at all of the interviews. So the actual video production process is really an exciting sort of therapeutic journey where- I see where we start with a broad topic. So I sort of, you know, when I'm going into this, I'm saying, okay, these are the general topics we want to cover. And so we sort of pre-interview a bunch of teenagers that want to share and we sort of say, okay, this is the general topic area. But then during the actual filming process, we're unraveling and it's this beautiful therapeutic journey where we're sort of discovering together myself and the teenager, you know, what are the elements of their story and what are the elements of what happened to them, how they responded to it, their thoughts and feelings. And then after that, we then create these stories into specifically curated learning journeys. So it's not just that they're sharing vulnerably, it's that in the videos, it sort of goes between the stories of the peers themselves, the teenagers themselves, as well as myself as a clinical psychologist, contextualizing. So it's really, we're sort of leading them down, you know, leading the, the students down this journey of here's what happened, here's what it means, here's what we can take from it, here's how it might relate to your life. So we really pull that out in the editing process and the way we create the, the stories and the documentaries. Yeah, that's amazing. The The video making is part of the therapeutic process. It's not yes. just kind of an end result. Yes, exactly. So the teens that are participating and creating the programs get that you know therapeutic benefit and being, being able to be that leader. And then this, the teenagers that are on the receiving end of it also get the benefit of hearing from, from their peer who becomes this incredible peer role model. Yeah, absolutely. So Haley, after Having a career as a clinical psychologist and then suddenly delving into the world of startups, what would you say is your biggest recommendation? Yes. So the biggest recommendation that I have or the biggest sort of thing that I had to overcome was being comfortable with the idea that you don't know the end result. You don't know what it's going to look like. There's a lot of uncertainty. You know, it's, you know, coming from a, a set career where you know what your job is, you know what your role is, you know what the outcomes are, you know what you're trying to achieve. It's very structured where when you go into the entrepreneurial journey, everything's chaos, essentially. You have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> And there's an excitement to that, but it's also really terrifying. And so I think the biggest piece of advice I would have is really lean into that 
discomfort and that that uncertainty and know that that's normal. You know, it's it's meant to be uncertain. If it was certain, it wouldn't be an entrepreneurial journey. It would be a job. So it's like yes. <laughs> something new and therefore it has to be totally, you know, you, you have to be in the in the dark with it for a lot of the time, which is not yeah. very comfortable. So it's like that that's that that's all part of it. What do you mean by lean into discomfort? Yeah, great question. So I guess it's the idea that when we feel uncomfortable, when we feel things are uncertain, when things are you know not going as planned or they're not unfolding in the way we want them to, our normal reaction is to, you know, we have all sorts of different ways that we react to that. You know, we might start panicking. I'll give you myself as an example. Some of the things that I do, <laughs> I go into a whole panic cycle of, oh, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing this properly. I don't know how to cope with this. You know, I'm not a good enough you know, leader. I'm not a good enough entrepreneur. I go into that whole cycle. Another way that I might respond is trying to find certainty when there is none. And so that ends up, you know, I end up doing one of the most ridiculous patterns I often find myself doing is I'll do all this busy work and I'll focus on things that are certain, like little to-do tasks, because it's mm. easier to focus on the things that I know rather than solve the big problem, which is the thing that I really need to be focusing on. But because it's uncertain, it's like, I don't even know where to go with that. So I won't address that. So it's like knowing these patterns in ourselves and knowing that it's really normal and human to have a big reaction when things are uncertain and really allowing ourselves to feel that. So the only way that that we can get out of those patterns is to just stop and recognize, okay, I'm freaking out right now. This is really scary. <laughs> this is unknown. What does this actually feel like? And as soon as we, I mean, it's amazing what happens in our in our mind, our relationship to emotions as soon as we recognize and own it and acknowledge it and say, yes, this is scary for me. It's like that, it, that in itself is very soothing. And then we sort of know what we're dealing with. And we know that what's happening, all of the thoughts we're thinking are because we're scared. They're not necessarily logical, helpful thoughts towards our business. And that's sort of, I guess, the trick is making sure that we've fully connected to our feelings and we've process them to a certain extent so that we, when we're thinking about next steps for our business, we know we have sort of a, a bit of a clear mind with it, that we're, that our emotions aren't kind of running the show or our reaction to our emotions aren't running the show. Yeah. I love that. It's um, because if we don't stop to recognize what our emotions are, acknowledge that maybe perhaps we're a little bit scared is that we start to go down this rabbit hole of doing these random tasks, like yes. focusing on small tasks, panicking, going into a cycle of doubt and starting to question yourself. And then from there, you start to miss the big picture of why you're there or maybe what you're creating. But then once we start to earn our own emotions, we can clear our minds and, and then, yeah, focus on the big picture. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then those emotions or the things that we're the most scared of can actually guide us. You know, we think of fear or, you know, uncertainty or sadness even or or loss. We see them in a negative light, but actually when we really connect to those feelings, that is what can lead us forward. So the thing that scares us the most is often the thing where place where our most growth is. So if we actually pause and connect to that, we can, we can learn to move towards that and say, okay, for instance, for, for me, when I started this, 
the idea of being on camera was absolutely terrifying to me. I, you know, I'd never done anything. I actually didn't even have a social media account. This was <laughs> literally nothing. I had no, I mean, I think I, I did have Facebook, but I'd never really posted anything myself. Didn't have Instagram. So for me, being public was, was so scary. But because it was so scary, it's actually the thing that I needed to do the most. I mean, that was the, my biggest area of growth is to be able to, to see myself as a public figure and to be able to speak out about the things I'm passionate about. And because this, you know, I have to be the figurehead of this project because, you know, I'm the, I'm the clinical psychologist. I'm the one with the PhD. Like I have to speak about it. And so it's no good me creating something and then not being able to be the face of it. So if I just sort of shied away from that fear or didn't want to acknowledge that fear, I never would have been able to create what I've created. And so it's really that owning our, our emotions, not reacting to them and then moving towards them. Definitely. I know for me that when I, when I start to get panicky or, you know, start to doubt myself going down that rabbit hole, sometimes it's quite difficult to, to, you know, climb back out. What are some strategies to rein in your emotions? Because I mean, just telling ourselves it will be okay, be okay with the, with the outcome. You may not necessarily always work, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. And I mean, there's a, there's a real place for positive thinking and I, I, it's a, I'm a real fan of it, but at the same time, For me anyway, and for a lot of people that I know, it doesn't really, you know, it's more of a band-aid, right? Just tell myself. Yeah. It's okay. So some of the practices I do, so a lot of it is around having regular conscious practices to build that skill. Because like anything else, it's a skill, right? So if it's something that we only employ in the middle of a crisis situation, of course, it's going to be really hard for us. So I meditate most days. That's a big tool that I use, which is, you know, there's all sorts of different kinds of mindfulness practices. But what I do is really a practice of just, I started off with, with noticing just the breath, you know, noticing my breath. And, and as your mind wanders, you just bring it back. So it's just sort of practicing, bringing your mind back from those, you know, those tangents we go on. And now it's sort of a, a meditation where I'm focusing, I'm really feeling into my body. It's the best way to describe it. So I'm really just feeling my sensations, feeling my emotions, just noticing. That's a really big practice that I use. Also journaling is a great one. I've gone through phases of going in and out of, of doing that, but just, just a, any kind of reflective practice where you're saying, Hey, for this five or 10 minutes every day, I am just noticing, I'm reflecting, I'm paying attention to how I react to things, to what happened in the day, to how it impacted me. Those kinds of things are really, really powerful because then you're building up that skill so that in the moment you can employ them. And so in the moment, really the the most effective tool that I have ever come across is so simple. It's just stop. Mm. (laughs) If you notice you're in, and this is what's hard is we don't always notice we're in reaction, but the more we reflect, the more we can get used to noticing. But if you notice you're in any kind of reaction, just stop whatever you're doing, feel your sensations in your body, just pause and notice, you know, what's happening with my breath, what's happening with my heart rate, what's going on in me, you know, just really bringing, it's like bringing the watcher in, right? We're just in, in there. We're in it. We're, we're having our panic. And then we bring this sort of, you know, bird's eye view that can look down and say, oh, there's Haley freaking out. <laughs> All of these thoughts are because I'm scared. These are not thoughts that I should actually be <laughs> determining my next move on. Then it's like, okay, what can I do 
to soothe that feeling. And, and some things that I use that are so classic, but so useful exercise. That's a big one. When I'm sort of caught in a reaction, getting outside, especially doing any kind of exercise, doing something that shakes it up. So even something like a shower or a bath or doing something that's like a state change where you can say, okay, I'm in it. I'm noticing that I'm in it. Now I'm going to do something that shifts me out of this. And then I can come back and think about it again. Yeah. What would you say to someone who has a deadline and doesn't feel like they want to stop doing what they're doing, but they are panicking? Great question. And I'm up against that all the time. Same advice. So I feel like the more time pressured we are, or the more we feel like we can't do it, the more important it is. Because that, you know, we we get ourselves into a real state with this. And so this pause could be a minute. So, I mean, you could pause for half an hour and do something, or it could just literally be, okay, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to breathe slowly and deeply for a minute. I'm going to do 10 burpees. I'm going to walk around the block once. I'm going to anything that shifts out of that or just the recognition of what's happening when we go back into it what i find is that you know time is it's so interesting time is really relative in terms of the state of mind we're in so if i'm in a panic state and i the amount that i will be able to actually effectively get done is actually less than when mm. i'm so if i where if i take a 10 minute break and come back to it i mean and i'm not saying that that i don't freak out when i do that i i'm just <laughs> mad at everyone i go oh my gosh i don't i don't have time i don't have time but every time i do i come back to it and i realize oh part of what i was doing didn't make sense or that panic meant I was able to think less clearly or whatever it is, you know, the end result when you step back, even if it's for a moment is usually far better and far easier to, to make deadlines when you have that clear state of mind. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the old adage of do I sharpen the axe before I start chopping down the wood or not? Yes, absolutely. And you can go ahead and start chopping, but it's going to take you way longer and be way more painful. <laughs> do you believe that being aware of your emotion takes some degree of self-awareness? And do you believe that self-awareness is something that needs to be learned? Or is it something that we all inherently have, but we're just perhaps not being as truthful to ourselves. So in other words, they're scared, but then maybe they don't want to label it as they're scared. Mm -hmm. Yes to both. So we are inherently absolutely self-aware. I mean, that is the nature of being human is that, I mean, that's why we feel guilt and shame because mm. we're self-aware. We are aware of what we're doing and how we're doing it. That's why we feel sad. That's why we feel all sorts of things. So we have this innate capacity and it is a skill that needs to be practiced because we are able to, it's in us, but unless we do it, we can't access it when we need it. So it's the same thing as, as exercise. You know, most people have the capacity to be, to have a certain level of fitness, you know, that'll vary between people, but everybody has a capacity for a, a certain base level of fitness. But unless we actually exercise regularly, we lose that. And hmm. so it's something that you can't just sort of do once and tick off the box or read one book about it. It's like, we have to practice flexing that muscle of self-awareness. And the more we do it, 
you know, the deeper we can go with it. It's a never ending journey. And it's, I mean, it's, it starts off for me anyway, it started off with a lot of pain because when you first start looking into your own mind, it's like can be overwhelming. And it's, there was a lot of sadness and frustration and shame of, oh my God, look at all these things that I'm doing to hold myself back. But as we keep going with that journey, I still experience those things, but I also experience this excitement of, oh, look at this. Now I found another way that I limit myself. How exciting because there's now there's more available to me when I get beneath that. It's like we can always peel back more layers. And the more we do it, you know, the more nourishing our life becomes and the more I believe we're capable of because we're not distracted by all the things that don't really matter, but we're just hung up on. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. It's a skill that everyone has. Everyone has the capacity, but it just depends on whether you practice or not. And how would you convince someone who wants to start but is afraid of the initial inertia of of what they might uncover? In terms of that journey of inward inward processing? Yeah, because yeah. you mentioned that at the beginning, there was just a lot of sadness, a yes. lot of realizing, you know, Mm-hmm. Great. Like that. So I would definitely recommend having a professional to help guide you. So being in some form of therapy, I think that's vital. That's, you know, to have someone that can guide us in that. And, and then, I mean, finding someone you trust that can, that can guide you, someone that you really believe in their ethos and you think, and that could be, you know, whoever you connect to, right. But someone that, that really can help you look at those things that are inside of you and help you find compassion for yourself. And then it's, it's really knowing, I think the biggest thing is knowing that nothing you are feeling is wrong or bad or strange, you know, as humans, this is the experience. And I think that's the piece to keep remembering is as we are confronted with these things, it's easy to go into self-doubt. But the thing to know is that by facing them, you are actually being so courageous. And that is the pathway to your own freedom and empowerment. So if you want to engage on, you know, you want to do something big in your career, you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to, whatever it is, you have great, great desires of what you want to accomplish in your life. The deeper you go with your own reflection, the more possible it is that you can you can connect to the things that you really care about and and know what you really care about. So it's like, it's like seeing that, yes, it's hard, but what's the alternative? You know, if we mm. don't do that, our life will pretty much always look the same. Yes, we might do things that are different, but if we don't uncover the ways that we limit ourselves, we will just take those limiting patterns into that new role, into that new job, into that new relationship. You know, it's the best gift you can give yourself and knowing that, that the sadness is just part of it. It's, you know, the, all those things that we feel is just, just part of the package of emotions, right? We can't separate. We can't only feel the excitement of life purpose and passion and not feel the sorrow and, you know, anger and shame. We either don't feel any of that (laughs) and then we're Mm. cut off from it. Or we go in and we say, Hey, I want it all. I want the journey. I want to, I want to fully embrace what it means to be human and do do great things in my life and in the world by becoming the best version of myself or the most you know empowered version of myself yeah absolutely and i suppose part of 
of being okay with uncertainty and being able to stay calm in, in periods of uncertainty, especially when you rein in your emotions, is learning how to be okay with failure. I suppose that's also part of the equation. Definitely, definitely. And that's a, a huge one because especially on this entrepreneurial journey, that failure is massive. And that's something I really struggle with. I hate failing. And it's really hard. And it for me, it brings up, you know, self doubt and thinking I'm not doing, you know, what's right, blah, 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 this whole story around that I'm not good enough. And, but actually, this is what, you know, the only way to succeed really as an entrepreneur is to fail a whole bunch of times. You know, it's like, it's kind of like being an actor, like you go and audition over and over again. And if you can't take the fact that a lot of people are going to say no to you, then you're not going to get that one role. And so you're, you know, you're trying something new. So, you know, it involves trying it and it doesn't work. And then you try it in another way and it doesn't work. And so, you know, being able to lean into that feeling and say, yeah, you know, what's in that for me? So that's a big, I think this is also partly why I chose this journey, because I know that this is, that's a huge, you know, that's a point of contention for me. That's a hard point. It's a sticky point. So I could live my life just avoiding situations where I failed. And then I would, you know, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But for my personal growth, I know that I'll be able to live such a fuller life. And I am living such a fuller life as I move towards that feeling of failure and, and all of the associations that come up because failing isn't necessarily bad. We've just decided it's bad, right? Failing mm. doesn't, it's not actually personal. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm a failure. It doesn't mean that I'm not good enough. It just means something I did didn't work in the way I wanted it to work. But then we add all of that negativity and judgment to it. So it's this, this really cool process of being like, well, why is failure even bad? And how can I lean into those feelings that come up so I can keep moving towards it so that we start breaking down all of the barriers? You know, when you think of, it's almost like when we're scared of our emotions, it's like we live in this huge mansion and yet we've locked ourselves in the closet because every time <laughs> a difficult feeling comes up, we shut that door. We go, I'm not going to go in that room again. And then we shut another door, we shut another door, and then we're, we're like hiding in the closet. And yeah. so- to open those doors and to say, ooh, that's painful. What is that? What's in that room? You know, what's on offer there? And failure is a huge piece of that, is the, the recognition that it really isn't personal. It has nothing to do with our worth. And that's the separation. So when we fear failure, it's because we think it means something about us. Sort of a, you know, going into that is actually helpful in other areas of our life. You know, going into a career where we have to face failure means that we can then have more equanimity everywhere right? We can say, oh, when someone rejects me personally, that also, that's part of that same cycle. Why do I think that's about me either? You know, that's what they're feeling. That's not actually me. So it's that whole, it sort of, it all connects to each other. Yeah, definitely. I love the analogy that you made about the closet and the mansion. And I particularly love how you talked about failure is not bad. It's only something that we labeled as bad. It, it goes back to what you said earlier about how your emotions aren't wrong or right. It's just the labels that we put on. It's not something that's supposed to be shied away from or something that's supposed to be pushed back. And I and I love what you said about how life is not something where you just try to strive for, you know, the somewhat quote unquote positive emotions, but it's also about experiencing the negative ones. Is yeah. the process of being able to cope with failure, 
the same as reining in your emotions. So for example, meditating and being mindful, things like that. Yeah. So, and I wouldn't necessarily say reining in your emotions as much as like riding the wave of them and not Mm. being swept up. So it's like trying to dampen them sometimes as part of that same process where we're like, go away, (laughs) make me smaller, (laughs) you know, stop. Whereas I feel like it's almost like you're talking about that metaphor of reining in, like letting the wild horse ride and going with it. So really seeing, oh, here's this wave of emotion and I'm just going to hold still in it. So yeah, absolutely. The feeling of failure is the same in that. So it's feeling, you know, if I think of personal experiences for me, I feel the feeling of failure wash over me, you know, when I'm aware and conscious, <laughs> when I can get my bearings, I stop <laughs> and I say, what is this feeling? What is this sensation? Like literally physically, where do I feel this? You know, what is happening in my body right now? And then locating it. So I, I will usually feel a feeling of shame or it, and it, like maybe a flush in my cheeks or, you know, tightness in my chest. And then I, I locate that and then I go into, okay, so what are the, what are the thoughts? What's happening? What, why am I reacting to this situation in this way? So you sort of pull it apart and you go just, you know, failure doesn't mean feeling bad about yourself. I've added that. (laughs) So I go, whoa, okay, let's slow this down. So that's where any kind of mindfulness or reflection practice really, really helps. So you, you slow it down and you say, what am I feeling? What is happening in me? Where is, where is this coming from? And then you see the part that you add and then, then you have power. Then you go, oh, okay. So, so I'm the one doing this. (laughs) I'm the one that's turning my, you know, putting myself in this turmoil, but actually the situation is, has nothing to do with it. And then you can Mm -hmm. kind of move forward. You know, once you've done that process, it sort of recenters you and then you go, oh, okay. So this is just this feeling, and this is where the more reflective practice you do, the easier you can come out of that because you can then get familiar with your own cycles. So it's so familiar to me to go into shame and self-doubt. I go, oh, right, (laughs) just shame and self-doubt again. (laughs) Whereas before I started that practice of therapy and self-reflection, to me, I couldn't, I mean, that was just, it would be too overwhelming. Like I couldn't even, I remember times before I ever started therapy where just even one little bit of criticism would just send me, you know, like I would have to like leave the room. I'd be so embarrassed, (laughs) you know? And so I couldn't even look at it. But so the more you look at it, the more you just go, oh yeah, whatever. That's just me being, being a silly human again. And then you can move forward. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that there's a, a reluctance for people to go to therapy when they actually need it? Oh yeah, absolutely. There, there's so much stigma around it and there's still, this belief that therapy is only for the broken, you know, therapy Mm. is only when something's wrong, or, you know, you're, 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 you know, have mental health issues, quote, unquote. But, you know, really, therapy, and so most of us, myself included, (laughs) only end up in therapy when we hit a crisis point when it's like, there is obviously something going on here that I need to address. But what really, and that's why I'm so passionate about this program I've created, is that we all need that. We again, it's a skill set. It's a, it's a very simple, but hard to do. You know, easy but hard to do skill set that we need to practice. And so, but we don't live in a world that gets that. 
Mm. So, so this is why I really am advocating for this to be taught, not just in therapy, but in classrooms so that we start, you know, helping teenagers recognize that this process of self-reflecting is actually one of the best things they can do and the, the greatest things they can do so that when, you know, as they get older, therapy is something they would seek out just like now. I mean, it's so interesting because for instance, things like business coaching, that's a big thing now. And a lot of, I mean, nobody would think twice about having a business coach, which is great. You know, that's fantastic. We have, you know, or a mentor or something like that. Or if we're, you know, a personal trainer in the gym, you know, these are all mm. examples where we recognize this is something that I, you know, an area that I want to improve in. So I'm going to seek someone's guidance in it. And so ultimately my vision is that we will live in a world where the exact same thing applies for our, for our mind, you know, and it's, it's mm. about, I want to stop limiting myself or I want to stop, you know, holding myself back or I want to, I want to get out of my unhealthy relationships patterns, or I want to be more engaged in my life, or I, I want to be able to be successful in some way. Right. And that, that actually the recognition that our mind and our mental patterns are a huge part of that. And mm. so, but it, right now we're not quite in that world yet. So, but, yeah. but for anyone that is on this entre entrepreneurial journey, this is a beautiful, brave thing that you're doing. And to combine it with understanding the things that it will stir up in you and then harnessing your own mental power and your mental capacity in it, I think is such a smart idea, you know, to yeah. have both of those things happening at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I get your point. It's once we start changing the perception of what we look at when we think of therapy and if we see it as analogous to say a personal trainer you mm -hmm. know rather than seeing it as say a hospital then we can start to you know capture the benefits of of being more self-aware and you know unlock the hidden potentials you know in, yeah. in being able to to work in entrepreneurship and being okay with uncertainty and things like that absolutely absolutely i mean there's so our minds are incredible and we use so little of them <laughs> in daily life. You know, there's so much that we we don't know, even in all, you know, psychology research and brain research, we don't even know the capacity of the human mind. And so it just, it's an exciting thing to think of what is capable in your life if you start looking and you start working with it and working with your own potential in your own mind. Absolutely. So thank you so much for being a guest here on the Genesis of Startups today, Haley. Such a pleasure. It was great talking to you. Yeah, you too. It was great having you talk about emotions, how to be okay with uncertainty, and essentially how to be more self-aware and some strategies to cope with that. To our audience, if you'd like to learn more about Haley or about the Genesis of Startups, feel free to drop us a line on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Until next time. <laughs>